Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. And welcome back. Our special guest today is Carla Fowler. Carla is coming to us today from Maine in the United States. And I believe, Carla, the lobster is pretty good at the minute. You in- Although you said you enjoy the crab more. I mean, they're both pretty good. I have no complaints with this much fair, great seafood. Fair enough. Um, Carla tells me she's a digital nomad. And at the minute, she's based in Maine. But later on in the year, she's moving um, to uh, places further afield in the US. So that's interesting. Carla Fowler, MD, PhD, founded Thaxa out of a passion for performance science where the fields of strategy, productivity and psychology intersect. Since its inception in 2013, Thaxa's scientific approach to individualised coaching has attracted a devoted client base of dozens of executives at firms ranging from Fortune 500 technology companies to venture-backed startups to innovative non-profits. She graduated from Brown University, magna cum laude, uh, earned her MD and PhD at the University of Washington, completed her internship in general surgery at Stanford University, and she's also competed in athletics at the elite level for many years, winning a world championship and three national titles in the sport of ultimate frisbee. I love that, Carla. Ultimate frisbee. (laughs) Fantastic. Excellent. You're familiar then. Absolutely. There is actually a Frisbee, um, I don't know what do you call it, course um, at a park yeah. not so far from my house uh, where, where I walk fantastic. with a friend early in the morning. So um, there we go. Um, well, let, let's get going. Uh, so t- today we're here to talk about the top five tips for pursuing high performance in your life. Carla, tip number one, what have you got? Tip number one, don't do it all. I think brutal focus is the key. Uh, So, you know, often when we start to think about a performance, one of the biggest questions people come and talk to me about is like, oh, I'm trying to do so much. I have no time. I just, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to fit it all in. And I think it's really interesting that when we think about performance, we often approach the problem from the standpoint of how do I do more? How do I, you know, create more time, work harder? And so I think uh, one of my most important tips about this is to actually start from the premise that you will absolutely not do it all. And in fact, often when we are trying to do everything that we could think of, everything that we can see other people doing that we think, oh, that's a good idea, um, that actually what we're doing is diluting our energy and our effort and often putting ourselves on a track on a on a track to burnout. And so I love this idea of actually starting from the place of I will not do it all and in fact trying to do it all is not actually the highest level of performance. Well, how do you decide what what's best for you to do and what's best for others to do? Do you have a methodology for that? This is a great question because yes, the the next point is sort of, okay, well, how do I prioritize? How do I think about that? And I think the key is actually in that word, spend some time thinking about it is one of the first steps that it's okay that it's not just natural, um, you're, that the answer isn't just sort of going to pop to you in the middle of the night. And so um, one of the things that I talk to people about is practicing the skill of uh, identifying what matters most 
and actually practicing that discomfort that comes when you choose to do something and you choose to not do something else, like to leave something undone. Uh, so the picking, the choosing, and the thinking through, like going through that process of like, what might matter most here? So what does this look like in practice? Um, I recommend when someone says, hey, there's something I want to be better at and uh, or improve my performance at, and then to ask the question and start to brain dump on a piece of paper, what are all the things I can think of that might help me do that thing, might help me be better at that thing? And just start dumping stuff on the list. Don't worry about judging it. Uh, you know, don't don't pre-edit yourself. And then I often recommend looking at the list and give yourself some credit that you might actually know more than you think you know, and start grouping stuff into themes, right? Like sometimes some stuff you can sort of say, well, those two things are kind of the same idea right there. Um, just to kind of get your arms wrapped around the list and to start to say, okay, well, what do I understand about this thing I'm trying to go do? And then I recommend starting to test your hypotheses. And uh, this is probably not the first time that or, uh, the last time that we will talk about sort of science and testing hypotheses on, on our show here. Um, but uh, really, then you can start to say, all right, how could I test some of these ideas? So a great example would be, is there a book I can read on this topic? And then I can compare what I learned back to what I wrote down. Um, is there someone you know who's really good at this thing? might be worth like buying them dinner and uh, chatting with them about it. Um, you know, so there are ways you can actually start to, after having thought about it, uh, boost your boost your confidence and boost your knowledge so that when you go to pick um, and start to say, all right, I'm going to try prioritizing these things, um, you feel like you've actually done some due diligence on the process. Um, again, I'll say, we don't, uh, some people aren't sort of naturally born uh, prioritizers who just sort of know the answer, um, but it is a skill that we can get much better at, but it does take some time and thinking. So Carly, you're saying don't do it all, but that's not to say you need to be in a singular lane either. You can have a, because the challenge I guess with a singular lane is you get to the end of that lane and then there's nothing. You know, you, you've you've achieved it. You've got to the mountain. You're sitting there meditating. And now what? <laughs> um, I think you're bringing up such an important insight. And of course, when we simplify things, sometimes we do lose some nuance. So I'm glad you brought it up. You know, one of the reasons to prioritize is actually so that you might be able to have a multi-channel life or work with the understanding that you might need to be building on two fronts at once. Well, certainly if you were needing to do that, then um, you will need to really be clear on what's most important in each of those areas. For example, uh, you know, if if uh, there was a, definitely a period of my life where I was getting a PhD and competing, um, you know, pretty competitively at sports on the side. And so there was some very clear prioritization going on about, all right, um, how much, uh, what do I think is most important as I'm learning and doing my research? Um, when do I need to leave the lab? Um, and how much training do I need to do to be in good enough shape? How potent does that training need to be? I did some truly awful workouts, but they were very effective. Uh, and they were relatively quick uh, versus the long, slow slog. <laughs> um, so I think your your point's important that if we're layering, if we're thinking about uh, not just 
hitting the end of one thing, be meditating on a mountain, um, then it actually is an argument for we need to prioritize even more. Fantastic, Carla. So that that takes us on to tip number two for uh, pursuing high performance in your life. All right. Tip number two is to make it visible. And by that, uh, what I mean is that there are many arenas in which if people aren't aware of the results that you're producing, um, you will actually have less success, even if you're producing at a very high level. So um, a great there's a great book on this topic uh, that I really enjoyed. Um, the author was Albert Laszlo um, Barabas or Barabasi, and it's called The Formula. But he was a social scientist, um, and one of the things he noticed and he studied was how in very um, uh, sort of uh, pursuits where uh, your performance was easy to measure objectively, uh, particularly athletics, that uh, often if you were producing at a high level, so if you were a really good tennis player, let's say you won the U.S. Open, uh, that like it was pretty clear uh, that you would be successful, you would get sponsors and these kinds of things. And so... Um, it would work out for you. But in most of the environments in which we're performing, it is actually harder to measure our performance. So for example, um, in a corporation, right? You're working in within a social uh, system and you may want to um, be uh, producing valuable uh, value and great work um, in what you're doing. And um, of course, it's a social system. And um, so I often encounter clients and they're like, I'm doing this great work and I don't want to brag about it. Like, I just find that to be a total turnoff. And so, but I feel like I'm not getting noticed. Like, and I feel like I'm not um, getting raised for uh, promotion. And um, so this is often where we see that uh, really making our results visible matters, not just the results themselves. I was going to ask the question then. So how do you tread that fine line between the uh, being what we call the I specialist, you know, someone who starts every sentence with I did. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. Um, h- how do you, how do you tread that fine line between, um, you know, y- your achievements being recognized mm-hmm. without you necessarily having to tell people um, how good you are? This is a great question, and it it takes some practice, but I do believe there is a way to split that difference. Um, a couple of the ideas about how to do this is, number one, to use um, moments, for example, um, like when you have one-on-ones, for example, with whatever, your VP or um, you know whoever is sort of your supervisor. Um, it's a great moment when you can practice this, but practice it from the standpoint of, hey, I want to share with you like some of the success we are having, like in terms of, because presumably um, if you are doing a great job, then that person stands to benefit um, from what's happening within their team. And so one of the ways to approach it is from a communication standpoint, as well as a uh, standpoint to say, and here's what I'm thinking we might be able to do next that would have like these great outcomes. So again, some of it is in positioning, how does it benefit other people, not just me, me, me. So it's having a a viewpoint that is more holistic. Um, Another uh, way to look at this is to think about uh, storytelling and bring everyone into the story. So telling, telling good stories about what 
is happening. Um, in particular, if you have a team of people who are working with you, um, a great way is to raise the visibility of your team, not to raise the vi visibility of you. And to say that, uh, number one, when you do it for them, they benefit, they appreciate it, they feel recognized, and it's highly motivating. And um, to some degree, if your team is succeeding um, and is supportive of you as, as a leader, um, that is actually your success as well. And so um, that's another way, again, I love that, that phrase, the eye specialist, <laughs> to uh, get away from that. From a perspective point, you can view it as um, raising your visibility is helping other people know how to get the best value out of you and everything that you actually have to offer. And so it's an important communication, particularly in a corporate structure. Cool. Well, let's move on now to tip number three. All right. Tip number three is you will often have to go before you know everything. Ooh. So talking um, about fake it till you make it. <laughs> uh, sometimes that's an element of this particular tip. <laughs> I love that you picked up on that. So um, often we know that like, okay, if you're going, you're going into something that you haven't done before, whether you are a startup that is, um, you know, trying to do something really new, or even just as an individual, you are trying to uh, learn a new skill. Um, so often we get the advice that we should do our, do some homework first. And I absolutely agree with that advice. Um, we can learn a lot by even a simple Google search. Like if you have not been kayaking ever, probably worth like learning something about how do you get into a kayak? How do you get out of a kayak without like totally toppling over? How does a kayak paddle work, for example? But um, so I think doing a little bit of homework before you start is always a great idea. Uh, however, that is often where we also get stuck. So we start learning and then we think, oh, there's so much to learn. And then we sort of keep diving in. And then pretty soon, we're often trying to do research that isn't so much about us learning things that are documented that we can learn from other people. We actually start to do research trying to settle down that piece of our brain that is like feeling uncertain, that's feeling worried we'll fail, we'll flub it. But we're doing research as a proxy to sort of soothe that piece of us when no amount of research is actually going to uh, take away that like fear or a little bit of that uncertainty. So that is why we often will then get stuck in that homework phase. So I that's why I say we will often need to go before we actually know it all. And um, and so some things we can only learn by actually getting out into the game and actually playing a little bit um, or uh, thinking about uh, trying some different things to actually understand how it works in practice versus how it works in theory. So, um, it's uh, the the line on the back of my first book says, uh, "Sometimes you just have to dive in and adjust your course while you're moving." You know, I love that, that. That concurs exactly with what you know. That I've always been a believer in. You know, you and and sometimes Lindsay and I've worked together for so long. He knows that sometimes I just run in. <laughs> I run into the fire before I've assessed <laughs> the damage um, or the danger, but uh, um, but but that is philosophically how I've run businesses for the last thirty five years. Is just yeah, I think it's a good idea. It looks good on paper. Let's go and see how it works on practice. Yeah, 
And the way I've often framed this from my background is the idea of sometimes you got to run an experiment. And, uh, you know, in, in my background, like I did a lot of research and it's funny when you come into the lab every day, no one makes you wrong for not knowing the answer. In fact, that's like exactly why you're there is to figure out something that people don't know yet. And so I often encourage clients, um, or listeners to rather than say, Oh, there's so much I don't know to say, okay, well, um, how could you actually view this as an experiment and, um, not as a, uh, success or failure sort of binary outcome, but instead say, what do I want to learn? And what could I do to actually learn more about that? That would, you know, not have too big a downside. You know, you can always uh, balance the upside and downside. If you're trying to get better at public speaking and you're going to try something new, you don't have to try it for the first time at the all company meeting, for example. Uh, (laughs) You could try it at something smaller first. So um, that's often how I like to approach this idea of sometimes you got to dive in, as you said, uh, and and try some things, um, but it's okay to run experiments. Okay, Carla. So, I mean, this is a, a fantastic conversation we're having here about pursue, pursuing high performance in your life. Let's, let's move on for tip, uh, the, the next tip, number four. All right. Tip number four is a reminder that uh, a dream is not enough. And uh, I often think that what we need to do is actually translate the the fantasy, the dream that is in our brains into something really clear about what we really want. So the thing about dreams and, and fantasies in our brains is that in our brains, uh, there's as much time as we want. Like there's more than 24 hours a day in our brain. And also... Uh, so lots of things can kind of coexist that would not uh, physically be able to coexist uh, if we actually tried to translate them into reality. And so I often bring up um, with clients or anyone who asks me about performance that defining what it is you want and then saying, yes, okay, but like, what would that actually look like in the reality of my life is one of the most important first steps of getting anything that we want. Is that translation? Um, sometimes I think people are like, but that's so disappointing. It's so diffusing. Like it looks nothing like maybe what it looks like in my brain. But I actually think that um, having something real and then improving on it uh, is much better than something that like stays in our brains and never actually has anything close to fruition. And so, uh, what? So what I recommend. This is another area where. Uh, spending some time thinking about it is actually the first step. And it's not the same as dreaming about it. I recommend having a piece of paper. I recommend starting to write things down. And I also uh, like to ask questions like, well, what would have to be true for this to actually be happening in my life? And then working backwards from there, because we can learn a lot Like for like, well, if I were doing that thing, I'd probably need some time to be doing that thing. Okay. Well, Like, where would that time come from? What might that look like? Um, Who else might need to be involved? What resources might need to be involved? Uh, And then you can do some back and forth. If you start to come to the conclusion of like, oh, wow, that is really not realistic at this moment in time, you can say, well, what would it look like to have some versus have none? And so then you can say, well, what if I downscaled this a little bit? What would that look like? Um, You know, would that fit? Would that be more realistic? How might I approach that? 
So you can kind of go back and forth. And it's that sort of iteration that I think is really helpful and is the work of the translation process. Well, Lindsay and I used to run a couple of workshops uh, together on, on a particular topic, um, the same workshop, but we live six hours away from each other by airplane. So East Coast, mm-hmm. West Coast. And in those workshops, we spoke about the reticular activating system in the back of the brain that 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 basically couldn't distinguish between imagine imagined reality and reality itself. And and in terms of goal setting, you use that to to imagine that you'd already achieved the goal and therefore it, it happened. And mm-hmm. so, you know, th- there's so much um, parallel, so much uh, alignment with things that we've been speaking about for a long time about, about, you know, imagining the dream, you know, seeing yourself drinking the champagne once you've got the goal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. There's sort of a double-edged sword there because uh, the other challenge is sometimes we imagine a goal and we we fantasize about it, we dream about it, maybe we even tell other people we're thinking about it. Sometimes we get the reward um, without actually having done anything about it. And so one of the challenges can be we start to remove the motivation to then mm-hmm. actually like go do the thing. <laughs> I think the example that I'd read about was people say, I'm going to run a marathon. And they go tell everyone they're going to run a marathon. And then like everyone's like, oh, good for you. And uh, you get a bunch of reward. So it's this interesting thing. Um, but that's why I really like to help people sort of start to put it on paper so that we don't just get the reward in our brain. And then we um, also can start to say, no, how do I get the how it really feels to actually like finish that marathon or to be successfully training for that marathon? for example. So speaking of finishing that marathon, we better do that. Uh, Tip number five, round us off to the end. Uh, What have you got? All right. Tip number five, uh, knowing does not equal doing. So one of the things I often get asked is uh, people are always interested in what is the new performance hack or like, what's your, what's a new best tip about how to improve my performance? And my answer is that most often, Nobody needs a new tool. People have plenty of tools, plenty of great ideas. They've often read at least one book on self-development. And what is really needed is actually to take one of any number of the good ideas and start to actually apply it consistently in their life and see where it takes you. Uh, So um, the tool that I have for this is about consistency, about getting started and really building momentum. I call it the 90-90-90 rule. Um, and it's actually a rule about why we uh, you know, fail in consistency, but it tells us a lot about how we could succeed. So 90-90-90 rule is essentially that like people don't get started on something or um, improve at something because number one, most people don't start. Like 90% of people might not get started. 90% of the people who start don't keep going. And 90% of the people who keep going sort of keep doing the same thing, but they don't ever iterate or improve how they're practicing or what they're doing. And so I use it as kind of a motivation to say, hey, there's a limited number of ways that we actually fail at stuff. And so if you can manage to get started, pick one idea or habit you have, um, that seems like a good one. Um, Get started on it. Map out how you want to do it. Um, And then set up some kind of structure that helps you keep going at it. Don't worry about improving yet. Just like keep going. So maybe that's you have an, a, a trainer that you've hired or um, 
a friend or an accountability buddy who uh, says, all right, we're both going to um, do some professional development, you know, once a week, we're going to read this book and talk about it, you know, whatever it is. Um, So just something that keeps you going. And then after you've really built the habit and incorporated whatever it is into your life, then start to think about, is there actually a better way to do this? Could I improve on what I'm doing um, and increase the potency of it? But I always recommend don't get to improving before you've actually established consistency of the habit because it totally kills your fire if you hop into sort of judging on yourself and trying to iterate too quickly. So uh, three steps, get started, keep going, then think about iterating and improving. Brilliant. Well, uh, Carla, that I'm looking, got one on the clock. Uh, we are almost out of time. Should our listeners want to get in touch with you and find out more about pursuing high performance in their life, what would be the best way for them to do that? A great place to contact me is on my website, and that is at www.thaxa.com, T-H-A-X-A. And there's a way to message me through the site. And there's also a lot of great resources and other podcasts um, that I've been on are posted up there. So you can also, uh, if you just want to listen to more conversations about performance and performance science, that's also a great place to find that. Fantastic, Carla. Thank you for joining us from Maine as a digital nomad. So next time we talk, you'll be somewhere else in the in the US or the world. This is Rail Bricker from Perth and my co-host, Lindsay Adams from Brisbane, Australia, signing off for another edition of the Top 5 Podcast.